Hallelujah. God is good. Well, I was, um, I was in the cafe talking to some new folks that are here, and uh, I had a bottle of Gatorade in my hand, and I forgot that it was open, and I went to go scratch my uh, side over here, and it went all over me. So some people say I'm Jerry Lewis, so just uh, it's good to have everybody in church today. And I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Joe had asked Bob to help him out with his deck after work. So Bob just went straight over to Joe's place. When they got to the door, Joe went straight to his wife, gave her a hug, and told her how beautiful she was and how he missed her while he was at work. When it was time for supper, he complimented his wife on her cooking, kissed her, and told her how much he loved her. Once they were working on the deck, Bob told Joe that he was surprised that he, he made such a fuss over his wife. Joe said that he'd started doing this about six months ago, and it had revived his marriage, and things couldn't be better. Well, Bob thought, I'll give this a go. I'll give it a try. So he went home. He gave his wife a massive hug, kissed her, and told her that he loved her, and his wife burst out in tears. I mean, she was so upset. He said, honey, I don't understand. I came in, and I, I hugged you, and I gave you a kiss. Why are you so upset? She said, this is the worst day of my life. First little Billy fell off his bike and twisted his ankle, and I ended up in the emergency room all night long, and then the washing machine broke, and it flooded the basement, and I couldn't find somebody to fix it, and now you come home, and you're drunk. <laughs> James chapter 2. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have works? Can faith save him? Verse 17. Thus also faith by itself, of itself, does not work. It's dead. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have what? Works. It is dead. So James is not saying that we're saved by works. But what he is saying is, is that if we are saved, we'll have works to follow. In other words, he's saying, if you tell me you have faith, but you don't have intentionality in your life, if you don't back it up with works, if I don't see your good deeds, then really the truth of the matter is, is that you, you're telling me that you're a Christian, you're telling me that you have faith, but it's not shown in the way that you live your life. And so we've been talking about building deeper relationships. And thus far, we have learned, number one, that God never intended relationships to be disposable. Everybody say with me, relationships are not disposable. We also learned that the truth is, if we're going to build deep relationships in our life, then we're going to have to learn how to be all there in the relationship. That we're going to need to take the time to be all there. That we're going to need to tune out the distractions so we can focus on the people that we love. And last week we talked about offenses. <clears throat> that we are to be quick to let go of offenses in our life. Because when we carry offenses in our life, we build a fence, a wall, a divider between us and the people that we love. But today I want to talk to you about one very important thing, and that is the process of learning how to be intentional in our life. 
You see, just like God never intended relationships to be disposable, God has never intended relationships to be easy. That God actually intended for relationships to take work. Because when we work on our relationships, we learn to appreciate the people that we love in our life. God has never intended us to put our relationships on autopilot. You see, the truth is most people really believe that when it comes to relationships, they can simply cruise along. In other words, the truth is we don't like to work on our relationships. Let's be honest. We don't like to expend the energy to work on relationships. We simply want someone else to do the driving. We want it to be on cruise control. Why? Because everything else in life takes a lot of work. Did you ever notice? I mean, going to school takes a lot of work. You got to do homework. Getting a degree takes a lot of work. You, you, you don't just mail in and get a degree. I mean, that's a phony degree. But if you really want a real degree, you got to work hard to get that degree. If you want to master a skill in your life, you got to work hard. If you want to master a sport in your life, you have to work hard. In fact, I'm amazed. I, I like all kinds of sports. I like basketball, I like football, I like baseball. I like contact sports. But you know, when I'm watching the Olympics, I got to tell you, I'm pretty amazed at figure skating. I mean, when I watch these two people go at it, I think to myself, what poise, what grace, what skill, what precision. Everything is calculated. Everything is timed. Everything is done with such synchronization. Two people moving together. Two people dancing together on the ice with such beauty. And the truth is, they make it look so easy. But the truth is, what we are seeing is a culmination of years of intentionality. What we're seeing is a culmination of hard work behind the scenes, late night, years, late years of, of, of practicing and practicing and practicing so that what we look at and we look at with awe and say, how in the world do they do that? They would say to you, if you interviewed them, they've done this because they were intentional about putting the practice and in the working and in the intentionality, they become experts at what they do. So the truth is, we like everything in life to be easy, but there are certain things that are just not easy, and relationships are those things in life that are not easy. I know we want it to be like the Blue Lagoon, you know, we want it just kind of be natural. But relationships are not natural because we actually are dysfunctional, and we bring a lot of baggage into our relationships, and as a result of that, it doesn't come easy. Because we've got to learn to understand each other. We've got to learn how to work together. We've got to learn how the other person thinks. So why do we really believe when it comes to relationships that we can get away with not being intentional about putting the work into relationships? You see, we say because the world says relationships shouldn't be that much work. After all, when we come home from a hard days of work, we shouldn't have to work on our marriage. I mean, I've been all day long. Dealing with all kinds of people. Now, the last thing I want to do is deal with my wife. We shouldn't have to work so hard in our family. We shouldn't have to work so hard at communicating with our friends. And if it becomes too hard in the relationship, if we have a misstep, if, we, if somebody falls, if the dance isn't so easy, the moment the relationship hits a bump in the road, we say, maybe I married the wrong person. Maybe this friendship was never meant to be. 
Because it's way too much work. You see, the wisdom of the world tells us that if you're having a hard time, then maybe you didn't find your soulmate. You know what I'm talking about. You know, I, I talk to people that have been married for 30 years, and now they want to get a divorce. Why? Because they, they met this bimbo, and now this bimbo is their soulmate. You know what I'm talking about. One month that they know this person, and all of a sudden they want to give up a lifetime of building a relationship because that person is their soulmate. They understand me. You know, but the truth is the world, they tell us that if it's work, if it's too much work, then it's not worth it. But here's what the, the wisdom of the word says. See, the wisdom of God's word tells us that we live in a fallen world, that we are not perfect people, that we ourselves need a lot of grace, that we ourselves need a lot of work, that we ourselves need a lot of patience, and we need a lot of commitment. In fact, listen to what Paul the Apostle tells us about relationships in Ephesians chapter 4. Listen. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, now what calling is he talking about? He's not talking about being a pastor. He's not talking about being an apostle. What he's talking about is being a Christian, that you have received the calling to be Christ-like. You've received the calling to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's your calling. We are called to love people the same way we want them to love us. Now, notice what Paul says about our calling then. Our calling in relationships, he said, is to be completely humble and gentle. He said, be patient bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Look at the words that Paul the Apostle uses when it comes to relationships. He says, be completely humble. Realize that you are not perfect. He said, be gentle. Don't allow your anger to make you aggressive and lash out and hurt people. He said, be patient. It's going to take a lot of hard work, so don't lose your patience. And then he said, bear with one another. Notice the key word or the phrase. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the faith. In other words, he's telling us that it's going to take work and that we need to be intentional about being humble, that we need to be intentional about being gentle. We need to be intentional about bearing with one another and making every effort that takes practice, that takes work. He said, be intentional about working on your relationships that you might keep the bond of peace. So what am I saying this afternoon? I want you to take out your smartphones, and I want you to you know, go ahead and, and, and check in at Bethlehem Assembly of God, and I want you to write this down. Deep relationships don't happen by accident. Come on, repeat with me right now. Deep relationships don't happen by accident. Turn to your neighbor. I know you hate when I tell you to do this, but turn to your neighbor and say, deep relationships don't happen by accident. Let's say it one more time. Deep relationships don't happen by accident. So deep relationships require, listen to me, intentionality. Everybody say intentionality. Deep relationships, healthy relationships, strong relationships require intentionality. You see, if we're not intentional about our relationships, something or someone will steal our time. If we're not intentional about our relationships, something or someone will steal our heart. 
It'll steal our attention, our focus. It'll even steal our zeal for the most important things in our life, and that is relationship. Notice what Jesus says to the people at Ephesus. Listen to what he says in Revelation chapter 2. He says, I know all things that you do. He said, I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. He's talking to people now that are hard workers. I know that you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered that they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this one complaint against you. He's talking to Christians who lost their weight. They lost their focus. He says, I realize that you work hard. He goes, I realize that you are even suffering for the gospel and that you don't tolerate false doctrine. He said, but I've got one thing against you. You've lost your intentionality when it comes to the most important relationship in your life. You've lost your focus. He said, you've lost your first love for me. And when you lose your first love for God, you lose your first love for other people. Because your relationship with Jesus determines the depth of your relationship with other people. Come on, somebody. I'm going to say that again. Your depth, your relationship with Jesus always determines the depth of your relationship with other people. That's why it's first vertical, then it's horizontal. And so Jesus said, you've been so intentional on other things that you've lost your focus on the most important relation. Now notice what he gives us as the remedy for this problem. Notice what he says. He says, you have lost your first love. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. Do the works that you did at first. Now, I don't know about you, that, but the truth of the matter is so often when we get into a new relationship, we are very intentional about a few things that we do. You know, when we first meet somebody, we're much more polite. Or come on, somebody. We're intentional about being polite. It seems like we listen a little bit more carefully when we first meet somebody. He says, do the things that you did at first, right? And so the truth of the matter is, is that when we met our wives, gentlemen in this room, we probably were a lot more attentive back then than we were now. Why? Because we wanted to steal their heart. We wanted to make sure that they would marry us. And so we put our best foot forward. So we did the right thing in the beginning. I want to ask you a question in this room. How many of you still open the car door for your wife? Uh, let me see your hand. All right, three of you. Praise the Lord. Do you know, I've been married for 33 years, and I still open the car door for my wife. I'm going to tell you why I do that. I do it for three reasons. Number one, because she'll kill me if I don't. No, I'm just kidding. The first reason I do it is because I want to express to her that she's still precious. She still deserves for me to open the door for her. The second reason is because I want my daughters to see what their daddy does so that she can, they can say, hey, I want a man that does the same thing for me. Come on, somebody. You know, the truth of the matter is, is <laughs> and I love my son-in-law. I love Vinny. I, I deeply respect my son-in-law. My son-in-law was not allowed to date my daughter for four years. He waited four years. And, um, and after that, he, you know, they were 18. They were, out, they were allowed to date. And uh, one day we were sitting down at the table and I said, Vinny, let me ask you a question. Do you open the car door for my daughter? He said, no. I said, you will now. And it was so funny. They were going out that night. It was about 9 o'clock. They were leaving to go out. And I sat by the window. I said, I'm going to watch to see if he opens that car door for that one. You know? And he opens the car door for my daughter all the time. And I, I thank the Lord for that. 
And so, so what he's saying to us is that we've got to recalibrate, we've got to recognize that maybe we have lost our focus and we need to start becoming again intentional about the things that we did in the beginning. Hey gentlemen, you want to win your wife's heart over and over again, start doing the things that you did when you were dating, amen. Start doing those first things that you did. Go another step, go even further than that, but start with the things that you did at first in your life and become intentional about that. You see, the truth is that maybe we've gotten so busy that we've simply lost our focus. Or maybe, number one, the most important relationship, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you've gotten so, so busy with your work or with school or friends or whatever it is that you've forgotten that your first and most important relationship is Jesus Christ. And when your relationship with Jesus is right, your relationship with other people is right as well. Or maybe it's not Jesus. Maybe you're okay with Jesus, but you're having a little bit of a problem with your wife or your spouse or your sons or your daughters or your friends. Listen to me. It's noble that you've been working so hard, but maybe you've lost the point of relationships. So what's the solution? Jesus tells us that we need to remember what we were doing and then become more intentional. You listen again more. You are more attentive again. You try harder. You plan more. You, you have a vision for your relationship like you had in the beginning. But little by little, as you have drifted or you put it on autopilot, maybe this afternoon you need to say, I'm going to start being intentional again. Kerry Shook writes in his book, Love at Last Sight, the act of intentionally choosing someone generates a huge amount of energy. It generates a huge amount of joy and hope. It is a catalyst that is the potential to ignite a lifelong soul-deep relationship. The connections you make with the people in your life may be intentional or convenient, but they're really both. Culture tells us that relationships need to be efficient, and if they're not, it's time to simply move on. This kind of upside-down thinking says that relationships just randomly come our way like traffic in, on a freeway, and we have no choice but to go with the flow. Love at Last Sight says, the great relationships are based on active choices. The very best relationships are highly intentional, built on the solid rock of shared visions and goals. The second art of relationships is beautifully simple, but often forgotten in the rat race of life. You have to have a direction a purpose, and sometimes even a plan for your key relationships. You must act with purpose, not just react to what happens. This is the art of being intentional in relationships. So I want to give you just one thing today, and we'll pick it up in a couple of weeks. I want to give you a few things that are so important when it comes to intentionality, but today just one, and that is if we're going to build deep relationships, then we need to be intentional about understanding other people. Listen to me. That's so important. I want you to write this down. It's the art of intentional understanding. Stephen Covey, in his book, The Seven Habits of a Highly Effective Person, said this. One of the greatest things we can learn to do is to seek to understand before we're understood. Seek to understand before we're understood. Why is that true? Do you ever notice that when you're in an argument with somebody, 
that you're actually not listening to understand. You're actually listening so that you can build a case against the other person. You're actually listening for the response and not so much for the understanding. And so when I'm in a conversation with somebody and I'm not really listening, I'm not really trying to understand, then I react the wrong way. That's why, here's what James tells us. James tells us in James chapter 1 verse 19 that we are to be, listen, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Notice the process. He says, if we listen more, if we listen with the intent of understanding, if we're quick to listen and slow to respond, if we take our time in understanding, if we totally listen with a heart to truly understand the person, then our reactions a lot more often will be different. There'll be peaceful reactions instead of angry reactions. Notice what he says. Be quick to listen. If you listen more, that's why God gave you two ears and one mouth. If you listen more and you speak less, you'll be less apt to be angry with the other person. So we've got to learn how to really listen. The truth of the matter is we live in a society that's really not listening. See, uh, the most sought out thing in, in the world is that we would be understood. You see, the truth is what people are looking for more than anything else in this world is that they would be really understood. Simply being understood by other people. In fact, people everywhere, in every society, in every walk of life, really only want one thing. They want to be understood. They want to be themselves. They want people to say, I understand you. They want people to say, I understand how you feel. I understand how you think. I understand who you are. I understand your struggles. I understand your dreams. I understand your fears. I understand your pain. I understand the deepest desires of your heart. I understand you and I accept you for who you are. That is powerful. And the truth of the matter is it's very frustrating when people don't understand you. Let me give you an example of that. This week, I was having a pretty good week. And on Thursday, I actually went to visit somebody, their, their, their parent had passed away, and so I went to the funeral, and I, I was actually having a pretty good week until Thursday afternoon. God uses everything for our good and for his glory. So I was coming home from the funeral, and I was driving on the southern state mad, mad, mad road, and... Um, and, and I, I was driving, I was driving, you know, 55, maybe, maybe, I don't want to lie to you, maybe 57, 58, somewhere around there. And there was traffic, so I, I put my foot on the brake because there's traffic in front of me to slow down. And as I did that, I felt, boom, somebody hit me from behind. Now, it got a little more frustrating because the same exact place that the gentleman hit me, I got that fixed four months ago because somebody else wasn't paying attention. They must have been on their phone, and I was out of light, and they backed right into me. And so I got out of the car, and the young man proceeded to tell me that I was at fault because I put my brakes on. So I said, listen, let's not even talk about this. Let's wait for the police officer to come here and, you know, and, and he'll, he'll sort it all out. And obviously the police officer said, listen, you were behind him. You hit him. You're in the wrong. You should have been paying attention. He wasn't paying attention. 
Unfortunately, because he wasn't paying attention, my car got smacked up. They had to tow my car away. And, you know, I got out of the car, and immediately I felt a little, you know, I, I felt this tightness in my back. But, you know, as I am, super pastor Steve Malazzo, I'm not going to go to the emergency room. But everybody's texting me that knows about it. You should go get checked out. You should get an x-ray. You should get an x-ray. But I'm too busy for that, so I'm not going to go get an x-ray. So I end up going, you know, getting a rental car. I go home. I sit down. I, I'm having dinner because, you know what, when my wife cooks me dinner and I'm sitting at the dinner table with my wife, life is good, right? So I, I just tell my wife, you know what, people told me I should get an x-ray. Uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling a little pain here. And, and you know, I, I, I should really get it checked out. But I'm not going to the emergency room because you know what? I don't like going to the emergency room. I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend the week in the emergency room. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I'm going to do everything I can not to go to the emergency room. So I'm going to go to this new concept that they have now, urgent care. I like urgent care. Urgent care, you go in and you leave the same day. Hallelujah. <laughs> You know, so I go to urgent care, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find an urgent care wherever we can. It's 9 o'clock. It's actually quarter to 9, and I'm, we're calling all of them, and they're all closed, but there's one in Limbrook. They're open till 9 o'clock. We get there at 9 o'clock. I run in. I look at the lady. She looks at me, and she's smiling at me, but she's saying inside, I can't believe this guy's here at 9 o'clock. I wanted to go home. I really didn't want to stay here any longer. How can I help you, sir? Well, you know, I had this accident. Okay, fill out these forms. So I'm filling out the form. Come on in here. And so they rush me into the room. Room, and the young lady, she comes in, she's going to take my information now, she's a, a nurse or whatever she is, and she says, and so, how are you, Mr. Malazzo, can you tell me all the things that were going on with you, and everything that's wrong with you, and, and I need to get it down really fast, and so she's talking really fast, and as she's talking really fast, I'm getting nervous now, because I have this thing called white coat syndrome, if I see somebody in a white coat in the hospital, I start getting nervous, so my blood pressure goes up to 450 over 200. So she says to me, she says, so, so what are your symptoms? And I'm thinking to myself, well, right now I'm out of breath. You know, I'm like, just getting here. I'm out of breath, you know. So I can't breathe. You know, I'm, I'm little, oh, you, you can't breathe. Okay. And, and she's really not listening to me. She's just taking all this thing down. You know, and she's looking at the blood pressure, you know. And I'm like, but, you know, I have this little, little back pain. No, 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 no. Forget about the lower back pain. You can't breathe right now. So she goes and gets the doctor. The doctor comes in. He goes, what's the matter with you? I said, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I have some pain here. You know, I'm a little shortness of breath. Oh, you, you have shortness of breath. It's got to be your we're going to send you to the emergency room. I said, no, nah, I don't want to go to the emergency room. He said, no, no, you really need to go to the emergency You really need to. You need to go right now to the emergency And they'll take some blood. And I said, no, no, They'll take some blood. And they'll keep you in there for a couple of days. And they'll monitor your heart. I said, it's not my heart. It's my ribs. So, so I... So I left the urgent care. We got in the car, and I'm like, okay, now what am I going to do? The doctor told me I should go to the emergency room, but I really don't want to go to the emergency room. It's not my heart. It's my ribs, and I really don't want to go there. So my wife and I, we pray. I feel peace about it. I go home. I didn't go to the emergency room. The next day, I get up, go to work. And, um, and so, you know, everybody at work's going, how you doing? How you feel? I'm okay. This little pain. You should really get that checked out. You really should get that checked out. So, you know, now they're scaring me again, you know. I was like, you know, well, the doctor said, you know, you know, last time he tried to check me out, he tried to send me, you know, the emergency room. You know, so I'm not going there. No, you know, Pastor Steve, you really should get this checked out. Nah, I'm too busy. So all day long I go through the day. Now I go visit somebody that uh, was in the hospital, and I get there, and he's like, how are you doing, Pastor Steve? I'm doing good. I had a little, uh, had a little accident, but I feel better. Oh, you should get that checked out. <laughs> So, so I'm thinking to myself, I should go get this checked out, right? So I call my wife up and I say, "Hun, meet me at urgent care in Oceanside. 
So now I'm back at urgent care in Oceanside. But now it's not 9 o'clock. It's 6 o'clock in the evening. They got at least two or three hours to take care of me so that they can slow down. So I sit in the chair. The young lady comes in. She goes, hi, Mr. Malazzo. What can I help you with? I said, well, you know, I, I was in an accident. She goes, I can see you were at another urgent care last night. I said, oh, boy. Oh, boy. She said, and uh, I'll be right back. I'm going to go get the doctor. I'm like, oh, boy. She's going to get the doctor at Limbrook. He's going to come in and say, I told you to go to the emergency room. So she comes in. The doctor comes, a different doctor. And I say, hey, doc, let me tell you. Listen, listen, listen. I'm going to tell you what's going on here. Let me communicate with you. I know my blood pressure is 1,000 over 2,000. I got it. I get a little nervous when I come in here. But I went to urgent care in Limbrook. It was 9 o'clock. It was busy. I just wanted an x-ray. That's all I wanted. But I didn't communicate well with the nurse, and the nurse didn't communicate well with the doctor. And so now they wanted to send me to the emergency for my heart. But it's not my heart! <laughs> it's my ribs. So she was kind. She slowed it down. She said, well, I can guarantee your ribs are not broken, but Mr. Malazzo, if you would like an x-ray, I'll take an x-ray. I said, do the x-ray! <laughs> so they did an x-ray, and they told me that my ribs were not broken. The moral of the story is this. You could get very frustrated when either you can't communicate well or somebody is not taking the time to really listen and understand what's really going on in your life. And here's the truth. We live in a society that's not listening any longer. See, we live in a society that's filled with sound bites. Sound bites. It's all about sound bites. Who's got the best tweet? Who's got the best sound bite? And friend, the truth of the matter is we live in a culture of sound bites. No one is really taking the time to really understand and listen to what people really have to say. I want to tell you something. I am so despondent over the political climate in our country. I'm so concerned. I am so, so concerned. And the reason why I'm so concerned is because we live in a sound bite society. And so we can put ads on, uh, on, on the TV and we can put ads in the paper and we could speak about this and speak about that. But they're only little sound bites. And we use the sound bites to hurt each other. We use the sound bites to defame each other. We use the sound bites to convince people of, of half truths that are not even true. I told my wife, I said, check this out, honey. Check this out. Watch this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn on to Fox. And I turn on Fox. I go, check out how they're going to spin the whole thing. And then I went on to CNN. I said, check out how they're going to spin something. And then I went to the other channel, MSNC or whatever that is. And I said, watching how they spin it again. Because the media, they only want to us to hear what they want us to hear because they're really not listening and they're really hoping you're not listening and they're really hoping we're not really understanding the issues because we're so mesmerized and paralyzed and dazed and confused by the sound bites in our society and so we've got to be intentional if we're going to build deep relationships in our life, we've got to be intentional about stopping long enough. Dad, mom, husband, wife, friends, Christian to Christian. We've got to be intentional enough to say, I've got the time to really understand what's going on in your life. 
I can guarantee, I can guarantee you that the deepest desire of every wife in this room is that her husband would simply stop trying to fix her and stop really trying to just give her the solution and start really just listening and understanding. You see, gentlemen, we want to fix everything. We want to just tell our wife, here's the fix. Go fix it. You see, the truth is we live in this society that's not listening. And we're not taking the time to really understand in every relationship, in every marriage, in every friendship, in every boss, employee, in every church, in every family. The key to deep loving relationships is to be intentional about really listening and understanding. We're not listening. But this is what Proverbs chapter 20 verse 5 says. Listen to what it says. It says, the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters. The purpose in a man's heart are like deep waters. The dreams in a man's heart, the fears in a young man's life, the feelings, the deep, deep feelings in a person's life is not easily understood in a soundbite. Just give me the condensed version. Give me the quick version. No, they're like deep waters. But the Bible says a man who's willing to understand, a man who's willing to take the time to listen, a, a man or a woman who's willing to take their children out to a diner, to Burger King, wherever, to Taco Bell, and sit there for an hour and say, son, what's really going on in your life? Daughter, what's really going on in your life? What's happening in your life? Maybe they won't open up right away, but man, when they understand when they truly can understand that we care enough about them, that we don't just put them in our little cultural box, but we understand what's going on in their life. We understand what's happening in their school. We understand what's happening in their college. We understand what's happening with their friends. We understand what's happening inside of them as they're trying to discover who they are because the greatest uh, temptation of a young person is to abandon their own identity, but they don't know what their identity is. They're trying to figure it out. And so when we are people of understanding, when we walk into the room and say, listen, I'd rather understand you than be understood. Seek to understand before you can be understood. That's when people start to trust us enough to tell us the deepest, deepest dreams and visions and fears and apprehensions of their life. The purpose of a person's heart is like deep waters. But a man of understanding draws it out. In other words, we should be willing to just listen to people, to really understand them, to really understand what they feel, to really understand how they see things through the lenses that they have put on because of their life experiences. You know, when my wife and I got married, we got married 33 years ago. We didn't get along really well. I was 20, she was 21, and um, she's an older woman. And um, we didn't get along really well. And the reason why we didn't get along well is because we grew up in different, different environments. We grew up in different families with different circumstances, different set of situations. My wife and I, even though both of us come from um, Italian backgrounds. We were very different. My wife is so different. She's completely opposite from me. I'm a sanguine. I'm a people person. My wife is a melancholy. She's very detailed. She's, she's a, a person who really loves the details and she needs to know details. But see, I'm a sanguine. I'm a people person. I find somebody on the street, I'll take them home. <laughs> you know, 
I want to have a party. I don't need a lot of time. I don't need a lot of time for anything. We're going to throw a party. We're going to throw it right now. <laughs> you know. But my wife, she needs all the details. She needs to know when. She needs to know how. She needs to know all the details of everything. I don't need to know any details. I just need people. You get people around me, we're going to have a party. Hallelujah. <laughs> so I'd call up my wife and say, hey, honey, I'm coming home with the whole church. Uh, how many people are you bringing? Oh, about 50 people. Can you put another box of macaroni on? And we needed to truly understand each other. You see, I needed to understand how my wife thinks because my wife has a different personality. She has a different temperament. She has different life experiences, and she comes from a totally different family. She came from a small family, just a few siblings, not a whole lot of cousins. I come from a family of a thousand cousins. You can't put us all in one room. I have people that come to me and tell me, I'm your cousin. Did you know that? <laughs> That's how many cousins I have. And so I had to learn how to understand my wife. And let me tell you, when we take the time to listen, when we take the time to understand, our reaction is so different. The way that we treat people is so different. We treat people with love and dignity and with respect. Because most people don't get listened to. And the truth is, when we're not understood, we get so frustrated. Have you ever talked to somebody and you know that they're really not listening to you? You just get so frustrated. And one of the most powerful, listen to me, one of the most powerful things about God is that he's so interested in understanding you. Listen to me. This is powerful. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Think about the implications of Jesus Christ coming to earth and becoming a man. The truth of the matter is that Jesus Christ came to this earth to die for our sins. If he didn't die on the cross for our sins, if he didn't shed his blood for us, if he didn't take our sin and nail it to the cross, we would be eternally damned, separated from God. So his main purpose to come to this earth was to die on the cross. Think about it for a moment. He was immaculately conceived. It was a miracle. Why couldn't Jesus say to his father, hey, dad, listen. Instead of going down there and becoming a baby, I got a better idea. How's about you beam me down to earth at 33 years old so I don't have to deal with all of the other stuff, you know, kid, baby, you know, diaper changing, you know, the whole damn God. I got my diaper change. Come on, dad. You know, I don't have to work. I don't have to do all those things. Just beam me down at 33 years old and I'll die on the cross, and when I'm finished dying on the cross, you can beam me right back to heaven. It's done. In three days, the whole thing is done. And yet, because Jesus loved us so much, listen to me, that God so loved us that Jesus was born as a man, and he walked on the face of this earth for 33 years, and the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 that we have a high priest. Isn't Jesus so awesome that we have a high priest that we have a Savior that understands what we go through. The Bible says in Hebrews that he understands our pain. He understands our dreams. He understands our struggle. He understands our temptation. He understands our sin, yet he did not sin. Therefore, we can go boldly to the throne of grace to receive in times of need, to receive mercy and grace. Why? Because we have a Jesus that understands us. And if Jesus came down here to understand us, 
to become like us, to walk in our shoes. And then maybe we need to learn how to put ourselves in somebody else's shoes and walk where they've walked so we can understand what they've gone through. You know, I, I want you to lean forward for a moment and listen to this carefully. You're really doing it, literally. I want you to listen to this carefully. I understand the climate of our country. And as a pastor, I'm so heartbroken that I feel like we've gone backwards instead of forward when it comes to race relationships. And I'm really concerned about it. A couple of weeks ago, we got together with some pastors and leaders. And my good friend, one of the dear pastors here at Bethlehem Assembly of God, Pastor Tony, he said, you know, I'm concerned about what's going on in our country. And I think we should have a conversation. And, and around that breakfast table was my friends who were Puerto Rican, African-American, Caribbean, Asian. And I thought, that's a good idea. Let's talk about what's going on in our country. And I have a dear friend of mine. He's African-American. I met him a couple years ago, and I got to tell you, I love this young man. He is so intelligent, smart. Just, he's got it going, man. He's an awesome, awesome man of God. And, and, and we've been hanging out now for a couple of years, African-American young man. And he sat up a little bit in his chair, and I could, say, I could see that, that he had a reaction to that comment, let's talk about racism. And he said, and these were his exact words, he said, he goes, um, I've been in these conversations before, he said. He said, and, and the truth is, that I'm a little uncomfortable because I'm not sure that we're ready to have this conversation. Because if you really want to have this conversation, then you're going to have to be intentional on understanding what I've been through. And we had this nice conversation for about an hour. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. At that very moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And the Holy Spirit said, what you need to do is understand you don't need to talk about the things you don't understand. You need to take the time to truly understand. I read a quote from Martin Luther King. It's a great quote. And he said that there are some people that are well-meaning people that don't understand. They're more dangerous than people that are not well-meaning people that, that really don't want to do the right thing. And so sometimes we want to do the right thing, but we don't understand. We don't understand another person. And so I told my friend Chris, I said, Chris, can we spend two or three hours together next week? I want to put it on the calendar. I want to be intentional about meeting with you. I said, can we have breakfast together? And I'm going to do something that's going to blow your mind. It's going to be miraculous. I'm not going to say a word. I'm not going to speak. <laughs> now, why was that funny? I said, but I'm going to give you as much time as you need. I said, you can have two hours, you can have three hours, you can have as much time as you need. And all I'm going to do is I want to hear you and I want to understand you. Because the truth of the matter is, I'm not African American, <laughs> as, as you didn't know, already notice. I'm not African American. 
And I don't understand. And I remember there was a young lady who was African-American who said to me, she said, Pastor Steve, you don't understand what I'm going through. And I said, you're exactly right. I don't understand what you're going through. I don't understand what you've been through. But man, those words just kept on speaking in my heart. I don't understand. Maybe I need to be intentional about understanding what somebody else has gone through in their life so that I can understand a little bit more about how I should react and how I should live as a pastor and how I should love other people as Christ has loved me, as I should love other people the way that I want them to love me. And so we got together at the diner on Thursday morning, and my wonderful African-American brother, pastor, who's got it going, this dude is cool. I mean, he's a big, wonderful man. His biceps are bigger than my legs, man. I just, I mean, just this guy, I, I, I'm jealous about how he takes care of himself. He's just, he's got it going, so intelligent. And, and we began to talk, and there I went, I started talking about ministry, and I said, no, 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 it's not about telling you how to do ministry. It's about listening to what you've been through in your lifetime. Listening to what you're saying to me because I need to listen. So I shut my mouth and I said, talk to me. And he said, Pastor Steve, I grew up in New York and our first stop was Crown Heights. I lived in Crown Heights. And he almost looked at me and said, need I say more? And then we moved to Queens, and we knew, moved into a neighborhood that was predominantly white. And he said, Pastor Steve, I want to tell you something. I was not allowed to go out late at night, because if I went out late at night, there was a fear that I would be, I would be um, mugged or I would be beaten up by a gang of white people, because this neighborhood was not a neighborhood where we were welcome. And he said, and then we moved out of that neighborhood, and we moved to Floral Park, my dad always taught me, Pastor Steve, that no matter what anybody says about me, no matter what anybody does to me, I am to excel, and I am to be a champion, and I am to work hard, and I am to keep going no matter what. And he said, my father is such a peace-loving man that we really, we didn't have these deep conversations with, with, with people like yourself. He said, I just kept on going, and I just kept on wanting to achieve, and, 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 I, and I moved to this new neighborhood in Floral Park, but you see, the neighbors in Floral Park, they started to get nervous because the neighborhood was changing. And he said, and so I just kept on pushing through, and I became an athlete, a star athlete on the football team, and I became the captain of the football team. And we were having a, 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 um, we were having a parade one day, and so... Because they couldn't do it, they didn't put me in the front of the parade. They put me in the back of the parade in a car. And I started to think a little bit more. I said, this is not the 1940s. This is not the 1950s. This is not the 1960s. He's telling me this, and my heart is breaking. This is my friend. This is the man that I've grown to love. This is the man that I've never asked one time, tell me about your life. Tell me what's going on in your life. Tell me how you see things. Tell me how you understand things in America. He began to share it. And he said, Pastor Steve, I want to give you one other instance of something that happened to me as a young African-American male. He said, I'm a preacher. He said, and I was going to do the right thing in the right place at the right time for the right reason. So I went to Brooklyn and I was standing on the street corner and I was preaching the gospel. I was sharing the love of God, the love of Jesus. 
And somebody came to me who thought I was the wrong person doing the wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong place for the wrong reason. And so they grabbed me and they frisked me and they put me on the ground, my face to the ground. Pastor Steve, it was hot. It was July. My face was burning on the ground and they frisked me. Why? Because I seemed to be the wrong person doing the wrong thing at the wrong time for the wrong reason. And I thought to myself, my God. Lord, I didn't understand. Help me, Lord. Teach me, Lord, how to understand what other people have gone through in their life. I was so excited when I saw on the TV that they built a museum in Washington, D.C. called the National Museum of African American History. You better believe it. I promise you that I'm going to the National Museum of African History, and I'm going to keep my mouth shut. And I'm going to read everything in that museum. And I'm just going to simply learn about what my brothers and sisters have gone through and what they're still going through in their life so that I can be the person who responds with not ignorant bliss, but with understanding that I never had before so that I can love the people that I love deep from my heart and build deeper relationships. Friends, you want to have deep relationships, then you need to take the time to listen and to understand what other people are feeling, what they've gone through, their dreams and aspirations, so that you can be one, so that you can build deep relationships with them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today, God, that you call us, oh God, to understand and Lord, we're never going to have good relationships in America. Lord, we're never going to have deep relationships in the church. Because the truth of the matter is, is that we can fill the church up three times. And people can sit next to each other. But God, the truth is, we've got to go far beyond just sitting next to each other. We've got to be able to say, I want to walk in your shoes. I want to understand what you're going through. I want to understand your dreams I want to understand your pain. I want to understand the things that make you afraid. I want to understand the triggers that cause you to respond in such a way because of the things that you've been through in your life. Lord, help us to truly understand. Lord, I'm so glad, oh God, that, that, that Lord, that you are so committed to understanding us that you'd be willing to come and walk in our shoes so that we can come to you and say, my God truly understands who I am. Because, Lord, you always listen. Your word says the ears of the Lord are open to the cries of the righteous. And God, I thank you that the one thing that I'm sure about today, God, is that when I cry out to you, when I pray, when I pour out my heart, when I say, God, only you know my struggles. God, only you know my fears. Only you know my, my dreams and aspirations. Only you know the things that keep me up awake at night, Lord. Father, I thank you that you're always listening. You're always understanding me. So I can come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy in a time of need. I want you to look at me for a moment. I'm reminded of the article that I read this week that just absolutely touched my heart. It's an article about a man who later on 
in life, he writes this article. It happened in the 1970s. It happened that this, this man, while he was a teenager, was walking home from school one day. And while he was walking home from school one day, he saw this kid. And the kid had big, big thick glasses and kind of looked a little nerdish. And, and he was carrying all of his books. He had a bunch of books in his hand. And um, while he was walking down the road, he saw a gang of kids come around this kid and they started to beat the kid up and they, they were kicking him and they threw his books all over the place. And, and the, little ki- the kid was just so dazed and confused. He had been in private school. Now he started going to a public school. And, and this other kid who, who, who saw this all happening, he had a choice to make. Do I go and help the kid or do I turn and go the other way? He had all these plans of doing a lot of things for the weekend, but, but compassion touched his heart, and he went back, and, and he picked up the kid's glasses, and he took his books, and he put them together, and he picked the kid up, and the kid looked at him, and the young boy looked back at the kid, and he said, those kids are jerks anyway, and the kid looked up and smiled at him as if he just so appreciated that somebody could understand what he was going through. He picked up the kid's books, and they walked home that day, and all the way home, he began to listen to this, this boy, and they became best friends. And through the years, this boy with the glasses, he started to grow some muscles and started to, to kind of grow out of his awkwardness, and he became popular in school. Well, years went by, and, and now they were at the graduation ceremony. And this boy with the glasses, he became very popular. He did well in school. He did well with his grades. People started to like him. As the young boy said about this boy that was awkward, that now he had more girlfriends than he did, and he was kind of jealous of him. But on that day, the young man was, was watching as his friend now is the valedictorian of his class. And he stands up, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he's communicating this speech to all the people. And he said, you know, in life, There are many people who help us during our times of awkwardness. There are people that help us during our tough, difficult times in our life. And there are parents, there are teachers, there are adults that should help us. But let me tell you about my friend. You see, there was a day when I cleaned out my locker because I was going to take my life. I was going to kill myself. And I didn't want my mother to have to come back and clean out my locker out of shame. And so I took all my books and I was planning to go home and kill myself. He said, but on that day, I got beat up. But there was a boy who came and he picked up my books and he carried my books. And for years, he's been there to hear me and to understand what I go through in my life. And the young man, he was so shocked that this young man would be speaking about him. And listen what he said at the end. He said, at that very moment, I understood the power, the depth, the power of encouragement. Not until that moment did I realize the depth of the power of understanding another human being. And I think all over this world there are people that just want to be heard. They just want to be understood. They just want to be listened to. So let me ask you a question. Are you really listening? Are you really understanding? Are you really taking the time to go deeper in those relationships? I want you to stand to your feet right now. And I want you to close your eyes. 
Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Steve, I need Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins. I'm not certain that if I die today, I'd go to heaven. And I want to be sure of that. I want to give my life to Jesus. Pastor Steve, the one thing you have convinced me of this afternoon is that Jesus really cares. And he really understands. And I'm willing to give him my life. And I want to receive the gift of eternal life. With every head bowed and every eye closed in this place, I just want you right now to raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me right now? Would you raise your hand right now? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Bless you. Bless you. God bless you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Hey, after the service today, we're going to pray a prayer right now. But after the service today, I'm going to be standing right here. And I'm going to ask some of my workers to come as well. And if you really want to give your life to Christ and receive eternal life, I want to pray with you again. I want to hug you. And I want to give you some information to start your journey. And the rest of us in this room that are here, I'm going to ask you to do one thing with me today. As we close this service today, how many of you believe with all your heart that we really need to pray for America? Let me see your hands. And that we need to be the church. I mean, look around, folks. Look around. This is the most awesome church you'll see. Multi-ethnic church. We love each other, but we've got to go deeper. We've got to begin to pray with each other and pray for each other. And we've got to begin to stand in the gap. And we've got to do the opposite of what this society is telling us to do. We've got to begin to understand each other. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do quickly for the next five, ten minutes. I want you to get out of your seat. I want you to come up to this altar. Before you come, I want you to do this. Raise your hands. Raise your hands. Now I want you to take these hands and I want you to do it. go like this. Just go like this. Wipe your hands because they're really sweaty right now. And I want you to come up to this altar and I want you to grab the hand of somebody next to you. Come on. Come quickly. And we're going to pray for our nation right now. We're going to pray for understanding. We're going to pray that we're going to start listening. Come on. Come on. We're going to start listening. We're going to start learning. We're going to take the time to build deeper relationships. We're going to pray for our country. No more sound bites. We're not going to believe the sound bites. We're going to go deeper. We're going to understand. We're going to understand why people have gone through what they've gone through in their life. And we're not going to judge them for their reaction. We're going to hug them and love them. And we're going to carry them through this pain in their life and this suffering. And we're going to be a voice for justice. We're going to be a voice for justice. We're going to be a voice for holiness and purity. And we're going to be a light to the nation. And we're going to be a voice of love. Love in this world and love for one another. Come on, let's pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus. We pray for our country, oh God. Lord, we pray for America, God. Lord, we pray against racism, God. Lord, we pray against ignorance, oh God. God, we pray against, Lord God, closing ourselves off, Lord. Not wanting to understand, Lord God, what other people have gone through, God. Not wanting to stand up and say, God, we love our brothers and sisters, Lord God. Father, we pray, oh God. That there would be healing in our heart, God, as, as we just take the time to truly understand, oh God. And Lord, I pray today, Father God, that you would bless our leaders, oh God. We pray that you would touch 
President Obama, Father God. Lord, we pray, oh God, for Hillary Clinton and, and, and Donald Trump, Lord, and, and God, all the leaders, Father God, and all those, oh God, that are in the White House, Lord, and in Congress, oh God. Father, we ask, oh God, for a change of heart, God. Lord, it's heartbreaking, Lord, as we watch each other hurt each other through the sound bites, Lord, and we're getting pulled in as Christians, God. But God, the truth of the matter is, is that we are Christians first, Lord God. Father, we're not Italian first, Lord. We're not African American first. We're Christian first, Lord God. And Lord, we've got the same blood running through our veins, oh God. And Lord, we're one body, Father God. We're not many bodies, but we're one body, Lord, made up of many people, Father God. And Lord, and if we're truly going to be one, God, then we're going to truly embrace and understand each other, Father God. So give us a love that is deep, Lord. And God, we pray, Father, for fathers in this room, Lord, that they would begin to listen to their children, oh God. Lord, we pray for husbands, Lord, that they would begin to listen to their wives, oh God. That, Lord, we wouldn't get so caught up in all the things of this world that we would stop listening. Lord, that we pray for wives, that they would listen to their husbands, oh God. Lord, we pray for children, Lord God, that they would be heard and they would listen, oh God. And Father, I pray, oh God, that we would learn to truly understand each other. And we thank you, Lord God. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives, Lord. This deep word, Father. Let deep speak to deep today, Father God. Lord, we thank you, Father God, for what you're doing in our church and in our lives. Oh God, may we be the answer, not the problem. May we be part of the solution and not the confusion, oh God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Hallelujah, Lord God. In the name of Jesus. Come on, let's give the Lord a clap offering. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. So, so here's your homework assignment for this week. I want you to take one hour. I want you to take one person that you love dearly. And I want you to sit down with that person. Maybe it's a son. Maybe it's a daughter. Maybe you need to go to Taco Bell. Or maybe you need to, to break the bank and go to McDonald's. But I want you to take one person and I want you to say, talk to me. I want to listen. I want to listen to your dreams. I want to listen to your vision. I want to listen to your fears. I want to listen to your frustration. And I'm not going to overreact. I just want to hear what's truly going on in your life because I want to understand and before you leave today I want you to hug a hundred people and tell them I'm so glad that you came to church today I love you with all my heart God bless you have a great day in Jesus